streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm Kim Reynolds of Dogman.com with Chris Vetter, Scott Eklund, where your number five rated University of Washington Huskies take on the number 20 ranked USC Trojans in the L.A. Coliseum with a 4.30 kickoff and on big ABC, ABC Channel 4 for those of you in Seattle or 104 HD, but 4 o'clock, 4.30 kickoff in a sold out L.A. Coliseum and I don't know if you guys listen to Petros, but uh, do you guys have any idea what it is about the screaming DJ down there? Have you heard about that? No. First time I'd ever heard of that. Uh -uh. Nope. Never heard of it. I've heard a little bit of it on TV, and it's just kind of, they got some overzealous DJ. They crank the music up, and he's screaming. So it'll be interesting to find out about that. But before we get into the game, I think that we want to spend a a few minutes anyways talking about the big news on Thursday where the uh, schedule for next year, the Big Ten schedule, got released. And uh, some interesting road trips, some interesting, a couple of buys. So, you know, when the schedule got released, Scott, what jumped out to you immediately? Well, it was the two buys that definitely stuck out to me. I was like, wow, okay. But it looks like that's not going to be a regular thing. It looks like it's just the way the schedule fell this year. Also, at Oregon um, on November 30th, that's going to be kind of crazy. Um, And then uh, that Penn State game on November 9th at Penn State, that's going to be a chilly one. So, uh, And I think somebody mentioned that it's the week after Penn State either plays host to or goes to, I think it's they play host to Ohio State. So, um, yeah, I mean, those are just a couple of things that stuck out to me just on initial look. Yeah, I don't know. Chris, can you remember Michigan and Ohio State playing their last game and then going into the Big Ten championship? Because wouldn't that be crazy next year if Washington and Oregon played the last game of the season and then had to play again the following week in the Big Ten championship game? Yeah, and it's in Indianapolis, too, at Lucas Oil Stadium, where they always play it. So, again, in, in a weird quirk of fate, the you know USC and UCLA have weird dates at the end. Like, UCLA is playing Fresno State on the weekend of November 30th. Yeah. I, I mean, I looked at UCLA's schedule. It's about one of the screwiest schedules I've ever seen. It's it, it just they start in Hawaii. I mean, they have they have a they have a gauntlet where it's like LSU, something else, and then they go, like, Oregon, and then... I don't remember if it's Penn State or I can't remember, but it's just absolutely nuts. Um, yeah, just looking at that that schedule on Thursday was crazy because, you know, I saw a tweet out there saying that uh, basically every Big Ten school, existing Big Ten school that has to come out west, basically has a bye week before or after their games going out to the West Coast. Right. Um, so, I, you know, I have to double check that to see if that's true. I think. I think Illinois, if I saw, they play at Oregon, and then I think the next week they host Minnesota. But other than that, I think it's pretty right on. Um, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, this whole yeah. this whole schedule stuff is kind of nuts. Well, and also Washington still has an open open game uh, for next year, so that'll yeah, be interesting. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see if they fill that in with Washington State if they can come to and. 
it's not a matter of just playing the game. It's the financial arrangement, you know, so it'll be interesting to see if they can come up with some kind of a financial arrangement to uh, make the Apple Cup happen, because I just don't see Washington traveling, traveling to Pullman. But with the Big Ten schedule, you know, they start home with Northwestern and then they travel to Rutgers, which is basically just outside of New York, just in New Jersey. They play Michigan at home and that'll be a big game. And then October 12th, heading to Iowa City to play Iowa. So we haven't seen Iowa since the Rose Bowl. October 19th is a bye. And then on the 26th, head to Bloomington, Indiana to play Indiana. Then they come back home to play uh, at U. Uh, excuse me, against USC. Then they travel to College Station, not College Station, State College, Pennsylvania. And uh, that's in the middle of nowhere. So my buddy who uh, got his undergrad at Penn State said that that can be a little sketch back there in early November back in uh, uh, State College, Pennsylvania, home for UCLA, and then another bye week before they hit Oregon. So uh, also just, Chris, one thing that we saw yesterday as well, they said that there could be one of those Saturday games for every team that they could possibly flex to a Friday game. Yeah, that's yeah, that's going to be interesting. Um, what I think would be, I mean, they have to if they're going to play the Apple Cup next year, they have to do it on that sept or that September fourteenth date. They cannot do one of those later buys. Could you imagine the uproar if they decided to play the Apple Cup the week before they traveled to Oregon? Oh, I mean. I mean, people would be absolutely apoplectic. I mean, they would be going beside themselves. It would be crazy. And and like I said, it still comes down to the money. Washington wants that extra home game and Wazoo wants that wants that home game. They want Washington to play there. But, you know, there's no real incentive for Washington to play Wazoo. And my friends get really mad at me. And just I always say, well, why don't you play Idaho in Moscow? I mean, the answer is the same. Why, why would why would Wazoo play Idaho in Moscow? Why would they? It's kind of the same thing. And I know it sounds arrogant and you know, whatever, but Washington, what's their incentive? Scott, what's the incentive to go into Pullman to play Wazoo? Um, other than playing your cross-state rival, nothing. I mean, you're not making much financially. What do they have, 36,000 seats in that stadium? So you're not – it's not a big gate or anything like that. Um, you know, they're, they're a – I mean, I don't want to I really don't want to put down Wazoo, but they're a lesser opponent. They're they're a team that Washington should beat um, on a regular basis. And there's really no there's nothing for Washington to gain by going and playing over there as much as I don't like it. I know you don't like traveling to Pullman, Kim, but, um, you know, for me, I I'm going to miss the Apple Cup being on Thanksgiving weekend. Yes, it's going to be fun playing Oregon and we're starting something new and everything like that. But. Um, I, I'm sad to see the Apple Cup go away, especially on, um, you know, the the Thanksgiving weekend, but is what it is. Yes. Think, well, think two things, guys, two things, guys. First of all, think about the fact that Washington's not even playing a football game that weekend. How yeah. weird is that going to be? We're going to watch football. It's going to be then, great. Well, but then the second thing is, let's say Washington State decided to go, OK, well, we'll just play a neutral game at Lumen and we'll split it. And that's fine. But we got to do it the week that weekend. I mean, Washington still shouldn't do it, even if no. even if that was the case. Because hold on, Oregon's hold on. Got, Oregon's what? got a bye week, guys, before they play Washington. Why you would you put hold, yourself that that Washington is playing Oregon on the weekend of Thanksgiving? No, the thirtieth. They're playing the 30th. yeah. That's two days after Thanksgiving. Okay, well, late either thanks, way, what, late the week Thanksgiving before, this year. Yeah. right? But the week before, typically. 
the week before the the final week. That's why they're they have the extra bye week is because they've been able to have all these additional yes. games. Yes. Because the way the calendar laid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I'm saying what I'm saying is. Oregon and Washington both have bye weeks the second week before the final week of the season. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, what whatever, whatever, you, wherever you want to lay Thanksgiving, that that's where it is. All I'm saying is it's going to be weird. First of all, that Washington's not playing a game that second to yeah. last week. I mean, that's never that's unheard of. I've never even I've never lived in a year where that's been the case. Secondly, even if Washington State decided to do a game at Lumen that weekend. They should still Washington should should still turn it down. It yeah, just doesn't make any sense in any way, no. shape, or form, other than the weekend of September 14th. No, they want to do again. It again, it, just come, it comes down to financials, and that's what it's all about. And if the Apple Cup is going to be played, it has to make financial sense for Washington, not just financial sense for Washington State. I mean, that's the bottom line, you know. So, uh, well, and, but but right now Washington's up against it, Kim. They don't have a team to play that weekend of September 14th. Yeah, I'll plan to make easy game to fill in. I'll I'll plan on talking to some people down in LA and find out if they're close to scheduling any of those games. I've got some people that are pretty cool on letting me know that stuff heads up. So uh, I'll check into that uh, this weekend and see if there's any uh, anybody else in waiting in the wings that would want to come and play up at Washington, maybe Portland State. We'll see. But uh, uh, it's going to be interesting. What's interesting is Washington State doesn't have an opponent that weekend. Understand. understand. I think everybody understands that, too. You know, they, Do they? Yeah. There's I, had to look, I had to look it up. Well, no, there's definitely that open spot because of the Ohio State canceling, which, by the way, they got uh, $500,000 back in February for uh, Ohio State canceling. No, but I was talking about Washington State's future schedules, not well, conference, Kim. Well, yeah, theirs is a mess. So, Well, they play Portland State on the weekend of August 31st. Then they go at San Diego State the 7th. And then they play San, Diego, San Jose State on the 21st. Now, depending right. on how their schedule, I mean, who the hell knows what their schedule is going to be exactly. like next year. But exactly. they do have an open date on the 14th. They don't even know what conference they're going to be in. So, <laughs> Yes, they do. Pack two. <laughs> yeah. They're ready to rake in all that money. Haven't you Haven't you heard? Oh, absolutely. But, uh, you know, just moving on with the USC game today with the 430 kickoff again on ABC. I think the big question that's uh, going to need to be answered is which Washington team is going to show up. The team that beat Oregon or the team that struggled against Arizona State. And, Scott, I think that, you know, after last week, we got a really good idea. The flu for the last couple of weeks has just wrecked uh, the Washington roster, specifically Michael Penix. So which team, uh, you know, injuries, I think it's going to be a big thing getting Michael Penix back. But I think the um, big guy that they really need back and hopefully he's back to play is Tule Latule Gasanoa. I think. He's- yeah. Yeah. Tule Tule does need to be back if Washington's going to because, you know, USC has got a, a pretty good running game when they want to when they actually want to run the ball, which under Lincoln Riley, that has been hit and miss when they decide to run the ball because he, he wants to show off his Heisman Trophy quarterback and everything like that. But, you know, Washington just they, they're they're really struggling right now when it when it comes to health, whether it's injuries, Asa, Asa Turner's out, uh, Tooley's out. Um, you've got a lot of uh, Jalen McMillan is out. Um, all these guys missing from from the lineup the last couple weeks and and I it's impacted them and I think if they can get some of those guys back and and the leadership back on the field I think you're going to see a completely different defense and the offense should be able to kick back into gear. 
Well, the thing that's scary that, you know, just they need Thule back. But the other thing, you know, we've got to take a look at, and I'll be looking at it first thing on the field when we get down there today, is looking at that safety position. I don't expect Asa Turner back. I'm not sure about Cam, uh, Cameron Fabi Kulanen, Vince Nunley. Yeah, it's not football related. So it's evidently some kind of a disciplinary thing with him. But the board said, Kim, on Monday that he's not going to travel. So that's yeah. not an issue. Yeah, missing three uh, safeties uh, sure seemed to impact the team against Stanford. So, um, and you're playing against last year's Heisman Trophy candidate. That safety position is going to be key today. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's going to be it's it's always is. I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, Scott talked about you know Lincoln Riley getting cute with with Caleb Williams sometimes to the detriment of the run game. And there's no doubt if if he wants to rely on Marshawn Lloyd and, and Austin Jones to run the ball, they've been proven to be pretty effective running backs. And so at the same time, you know, do you really want to go away from your Heisman trophy winning quarterback? I it's, that's a tough call. You know, it, ultimately it depends on how you want to win the football game, but yeah, with that many guys out, uh, it's, it's not a great thing on the defensive side, but I think I go back to, to what you guys were saying about Thule getting Thule back in the middle especially paired up with uh, with MJ Ale would be a huge thing uh, for this Washington team today to really start to kind of exert themselves in the middle of the offense because right or the defense because right now you know guys like Braylon Trice they're getting the job done in terms of getting pressures and in terms of trying to get Caleb Williams to go a certain way and flow a certain way now once they've gotten him flowing that's the key then they got to get him down that's that's the huge key to the game. Yeah, with uh, Monday, with the uh, rankings come out for the college football playoffs, I, I think a lot of people were um, talking about Washington and seeing the struggles that Washington has had the past couple of weeks and not having a full understanding of what was going on. But coming out as number five, but uh, Oregon right there at number six. But I think a lot of the media eyes are going to be on this game to see, uh, again, are we going to see the Washington team that beat Oregon, or are we going to see the team that struggled the last couple of weeks? But Scott, when that college football playoff poll came out, any surprises for you on that one? No, I, I mean, it, it pretty much stayed right where I expected it to be. Um, you know, and Oregon right behind Washington. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Texas right behind Oregon, um, Washington right outside the top four. What is it? Uh, um, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State and Florida State. You know, those those have been the best teams in the in the country thus far. I mean, I you could make an argument for Washington to be in there, too, but they've been the most dominant. They've been the most consistent teams. And Washington, you know, over the last couple of weeks, I think, you know, it's that what do they call it? Recency bias, you know, and and so Washington's got to step things up and and be impressive. And if they can beat a blue blood like USC on the road on grass um, a place that they haven't won a lot of games at in the in the past. Um, you know, I think that definitely would go a ways toward toward helping them get into that top four. And Chris, as much as Washington was a media darling before the Oregon game and after the Oregon game, it seems like the media darling now is Oregon. And Washington's fell a little bit out of favor with the national media after the two games they struggled with against Arizona State and Stanford. Yeah, and I think both things can be true. I think Washington can still remain unbeaten and and be at the top of the Pac-12 list. And at the same time, uh, Oregon may be the best team in the Pac-12 right now, but based on the way that they've played, and Scott mentioned the recency bias, that's the reason why Washington didn't make it into the original playoff four on Tuesday is because everyone 
justified their selections by saying, well, it's the games at Arizona State and Stanford that kept them out of it. My problem with that is, and Joel Klatt said it a lot better than I could ever say it, is that they use whatever justification they can. If it's strength of schedule for one team, they'll use that. If it's eye test for another team, they'll use that. And all I'm thinking is, is that they moved Oregon up to six guys because of how impressive they were, destroyed Utah, all that stuff. That's all well and good. I get it. If you have the team that beat them at number five, why isn't Washington getting credit for that win when everybody has been poo-pooing the strength of schedule for Georgia and Michigan? I don't. I, someone's going to have to explain that one to me because I don't get that. And, and I think what it comes down to is pretty easily that you've got two teams in the top four that are going to be playing each other in the Michigan and Ohio State, and the loser will drop down. And as long as Washington wins out, they control their own destiny. So if because one of the teams above them will lose. So if Washington is just to take care of their business, they're automatically in. And I, I think a lot of the people in the CFP understand that and realize it. Um, by the way, um, I didn't recognize anybody when they uh, showed the people in the room. I didn't I didn't see Jen Cohen there. I don't think Jen's on the committee since he, uh, she moved to USC. But uh, I didn't recognize anybody in that room. Did you, Chris or Scott? I didn't look, but she's already off the committee. Yeah, she she recused herself. So, yeah, she's yeah. not there anymore. Yeah, so that was interesting. And uh, then again, where Michael Penix was such a um, dominant force in the national media, being talked about as a leader for the Heisman Trophy candidate, all of a sudden there seems to be a big push for Marvin Harrison Jr. and Bo Nix. So that's why I think it's important today for Michael Penix to have a big game to be that front runner for the Heisman Trophy, Scott. Absolutely. Biggest stage. You know, you got to you got to perform on the biggest stage and you got to win games. And Washington is currently top five in the country. They're right in the spot that they need to be for Michael Penix to be in the conversation on a regular basis. And uh, he gets out if he's able to pull out a win, you know, throw for 350, 400 yards, five touchdowns, four touchdowns against USC, which. Uh, to be honest with you, with that secondary, it shouldn't be a problem doing those things. So, um, you know, if, if if that's the way things go for him, he's going to be right at the top yet again. But, I mean, look, Bo Nix, you know, he's just he he's having a phenomenal season. I know that he's a duck and you can't, and you, you know, Washington fans don't want to give him credit or anything like that. But he's playing really, really well. He throws for close to 80 uh, percent completion rate. I mean, he's. He's just doing everything right, and and he's playing on a team that's flashy, and and they're the the media darling right now, Kim, as you said. So, you know, Michael Penix needs to come out today and have a really good game. And um, I don't, you know, he doesn't care about the Heisman. I, I'm sure he does a little bit, but he'll tell you himself he doesn't care about the Heisman. That isn't why he came back. He came back to Washington to win a national title, and Washington is right in the mix of that right now. And Chris, I don't know if you remember talking, and I talk about this all the time, um, but I think it gets dismissed a little bit. Mm-hmm. But as we get, you know, closer into this gauntlet that Washington's got to run through, when I asked Kalen DeBoer on Monday, you know, he's won national championships and he's had undefeated seasons. And I asked him if there were any characteristics to any of those teams that won the championships or won were undefeated if this Washington team had any of the same characteristics and he talked about the struggles that some of those teams won. He had a come, what was it? A come from behind 11 to 10 win in one of his championship years. And he says, it's just part of the process. You're not going to win every game in a blowout. So 
Kalen DeBoer's done this before. He has the blueprint. He knows what it's going to take. How big is that having a coach that knows how to get there? I know it's at a lower level, but he's done it before. He has, and I think he even showed a little bit of that last year. Uh, after losing the two games that they did at UCLA and at Arizona State, they ran the gauntlet after that. All those tough games in November, they won them all. And so that's one of the things that shows the resilience uh, resiliency that he has as not only a coach, but the way he coaches these guys up to fl- fight and claw through whatever adversity they have. And, you know, that being said, if you go back and look at, at some of the years that he was at Sioux Falls when he was winning NIA national championships, they ran the gauntlet pretty easily a couple of those years. They, were, they, they weren't really challenged a couple of those years, but there were other years, and he mentioned them specifically, how they how they certainly came up against some adversity and had to overcome some challenges in order to get the job done. And, and there's it's going to be no different today, guys. No different today. That this is this is going to be the, their their toughest challenge to date because it's the next game. And as you you know, I talked to Alfonso Tupatala this week about it. I've talked to other guys about it. Kalen DeBoer likes to use the mountain metaphor and the higher you get up the mountain, the it's, you're getting into rarefied air. It's harder to breathe. It's just tougher. It's tougher sledding. And they've got to overcome a lot of different things today in order to get that W and, and we'll see if they can do it. Yeah. And Scott, it's just, it's kind of, it's hard to understand what's going on down at USC, specifically with the defense. A few years ago, Alex Grinch was the hot commodity, the hot assistant coach, much like Jimmy Lake was for a while and probably even more so. But Alex Grinch was on everybody's list as one of the future head coaches and the rising stars. But, you know, down at USC and coming out of L.A., you would think that that talent, that roster should just be loaded with talent. But that defense, it's bad. They, they are loaded with talent. Their, their, their schemes are just screwy, you know, I mean, and it's, it's not a, it's not a defense that plays like a one unit. It plays like a bunch of like 11 individuals and you can't win with 11 individuals, you know, I mean, they've got, I mean, Bear Alexander was arguably the number one uh, portal guy in the country. And, you know, depending on who you talk to, and I mean, he's been good for them. Don't get me wrong, but he hasn't been the difference maker that a lot of people expected him to be. You know, they've got Kalen K- Bullock who can basically pick off any pass. It feels like, I mean, the guy just is, is everywhere in that secondary and he's got out- outstanding athleticism. Um, they've got a lot of talented guys. They just don't play together as a team. And um, one thing that Washington, uh, the coaches, mentioned Scott Huff specifically was that they're a chaos defense, meaning that they just want to, they just unleash their guys to create chaos and come from different angles and things like that. And it's really on his group to make sure that, you know, the, the pressures are picked up and all those different things. But, you know, as far as their defense, I mean, Washington, you know, should have their way. I mean, look, Cal put 49 points up on this team. Cal's offense, that is, that is, I mean, no offense to Cal's offense, but that is not a good offense. It's not even remotely close to the same offense that Washington has. If Cal can put up 49, Washington should be able to put up 49 with no trouble. So we'll have to wait and see. 
And Chris, last year, USC's defense was noted for the takeaways, and they just haven't had the takeaways this year. It, it just seems like, you know, they were always looking for those splash plays, those look at me, get the turnover chain or whatever comes from, you know, getting those turnovers. But that hasn't happened this year. And with what Washington's had the past couple of weeks with those turnovers on offense, I think that's going to be the key to the game. If Washington's going to turn the ball over, USC's going to be able to force those. Well, and yes, all you have to do is go back to the Cal game for USC. They were getting some short fields in that fourth quarter via turnover and, and completely flipped that game on its head. I mean, California was up, I think a couple touchdowns yeah. and then all of a sudden you know, USC comes storming back. And a big part of that was California handing them the ball. So if Washington hands them the ball today, USC is going to be more than happy to say, thank you very much, Washington. We'll take that and we'll score and we're going to make life tough for you. Um, you know, you go back though. And, and it's interesting because we, we just traditionally think how, USC is absolutely loaded from top to bottom, as they should be. But if you go back and look at like their defensive line, for instance, especially now in, in the portal era, you know, they're, they're two leading sack guys. One guy, Solomon Bird, came from Wyoming. The other guy is a guy named Jamil Muhammad. He came from Georgia State. Now, that's not saying that these guys aren't good players. I'm sure they're amazing players. They ended up at USC. But it goes to show you that they're not necessarily – stacking up the five-star guys year after year after year like they used to. And so, yes, we assume that they have a ton of talent on both sides of the ball, yet if you really start to take a deeper dive to it, it's not quite as good as you'd think. And then on top of it, they lost Zion Branch, one of their safeties. So you talk about Washington losing their safeties, Kim. Yeah. You know, USC's hurting a little bit on the back end, too. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And Scott, when you take a look at Washington's offense coming back last week, they got Julius Bulow back. Um, Jalen McMillan tried to give it a go. And Chris, I sent you a, a copy of the video before the game. He just looked really uncomfortable and kind of odd uh, with a big knee brace that he had on, trying to strap it and trying to get that thing working. So I'd kind of be surprised if we see Jalen McMillan. And I think if we do see Jalen McMillan, it won't be the Jalen McMillan we're used to. But, uh, you know, they've got to, uh, uh, you know, get back to the way that they were playing. And hopefully Michael Penix is back full go as well as the rest of the offense. Well, I know I know that it, it frustrates fans when they hear it's day to day, week to week, things like that. But when you when you show videos like that, Kim, it's specifically like day to day, like you see Jalen McMillan struggling to deal with a knee brace and you just don't know how he's going to react. Yet we had heard the previous couple of weeks. Oh, he's really close. I mean, we would have played him if in an emergency type thing. That's what they said about Thule 
Latoya Gasanoa last week at Stanford. It's like he traveled. If 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 we needed him for a snap or two, we could have used him, but we just really didn't want to try to do it. And yet it was Jeremy Bernard who seemed to be at least the coaches were saying he wasn't in quite as good a shape going into the Stanford game. He's the one that comes in, makes a difference, makes a couple key uh, catches to to keep the chains moving. And so now it's Jeremy Bernard that looks like he's a little bit more ready to go than Jalen McMillan was. So you just never know how the bodies are going to respond and how things are going to go with guys from yep. week to week. It's, yep. it's just going to be difficult to know. And that's why you're down there today so that you can get an eyeball uh, on these guys and, and figure out who's where. And Scott, last week it just seemed – I was trying to get out of, uh, you know, Ryan Grubb, whether Michael was checking into the runs on first down or if those were play calls. I didn't get a real definitive answer, but they seemed at times to be stubborn to want to get uh, to run the ball on first down. And it got me thinking, you know, on first downs that I thought the week before Arizona State knew what was coming. And a lot of the time on first down last week against Stanford, it sure seemed like they knew what was coming. Did you get that sense at all? Uh, not necessarily that, not as much as I did against Arizona state, but, um, you know, his answer to you, Kim, was that I didn't have any run checks for Mike this week. Yeah. So that the answer was no, he wasn't checking into that. That's what we were calling. So maybe Washington was tipping their hat with the way they're lining up. Who knows? You know, I don't know, but, uh, they, they're, they, they need to figure it out and they need to run the ball better. And Scott Huff mentioned that this week. Ryan Grubb mentioned it. They need to run the ball better. And part of that, you know, some of it might, a little bit of it might be on the running backs, but it's mostly on the blocking and, and where things are coming from and, and, and different things like that. And, and it's, you know, Washington needs to figure out a way to get, to get Dylan Morris going, or I'm sorry, uh, Dylan Johnson going a little bit and, and make it so that he can, he can get out, get get running the ball a little bit more because if Washington can run the ball, their 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 offense becomes exponentially better. A couple things, Chris. Last year we pretty much saw the same thing, and then the last month of the year, Cam Davis really got going towards the end of the year. They don't have Cam Davis, and the coaches have mentioned, you know, you get into the fourth quarter with Dylan Johnson, and he's just wearing guys down. But they've also mentioned, you know, I talked about getting a little bit more speed in there with a Will Nixon. But it sounds like the guy they really want to get in there is Tybo Rogers. He's the fastest guy in that running back room. It'll be interesting to see if we uh, see some Tybo Rogers today as kind of that uh, lightning guy. And then Dylan Johnson later in the game once they're worn down. Well, there's no doubt. C.D., he was really good near the end of the year as well as Wayne. Wayne Talapapa was just the, the steady Eddie guy all year long. And he was even a factor and, and did a great job even in the bowl game. So to have both of those guys last year was huge. And Washington really does need to find a compliment for Dylan Johnson. And you're right, Kim. I, I do believe that that they would love to have Tybo Rogers be that that second guy. They tried to get him in for a few snaps against Stanford, really didn't get off track too much, was able to do a couple things, but really wasn't a, a huge factor at all. Uh, I think they'd like to see him in there, and I think they'd like to continue to to sprinkle in Will Nixon when they can. And it's just kind of at a loss for words because they, they, they had Sam Adams played a little bit against Stanford. Where is Richard Newton? Where is he gone? Is he just is he in a situation now where he just physically can't go? Special teams. He's on every special team. No, I know. I understand that. But if he's on special teams, he should be able to run the ball a little bit, especially in the red zone where they've had issues trying to punch the ball in. And I know they yeah. feel confident Dylan Johnson can, can do that. And he's shown from time to time he can do that. But really, really, it comes to those short, those third and 
shorts, fourth and shorts inside the five, you know, that's a situation where they've got to they've got to have another big body in there. And I think Richard Newton could do that. Well, the other thing, Chris, is when we take a look at what was going on last year, every time we looked at the uh, play sheet, Washington was having, you know, uh, decidedly more plays. They're running more plays than their opponent. But the last three weeks, it just seems like Washington is not running anywhere near the amount of places they did a year ago. And they're. The op, the opponent is running a lot more plays than Washington, so they just haven't had as many opportunities to run the ball, and I think a lot of that has to do with their inability to, for the defense to get off the field. Well, that's true, too. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it'll be interesting and to keep an eye on that play count, but uh, I want both of you guys just to kind of keep an eye on uh, first down situations and see if they're tipping runs and see if you can tell, specifically you, Scott, can you tell if they're going to run the ball or pass the ball? So uh, keep an eye on that today. So, um, and then also I think, you know, the offensive line is huge because even though they got Julius Bulow back, when you get a guy back from injury, if he was a 10 when he uh, went out, he doesn't automatically come back at that level. He's not going to be a 10. So it'll, no. uh, I think keeping an eye on that offensive line today is going to be key as well. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm, I'll be interested to see how, uh, you know, the role that Garen Hatchin ends up playing. You know, Scott Huff mentioned that he's been a key backup. He'll be a key backup for them. And and uh, he just needed some seasoning. I think one of the you know reasons why they ended up pulling him was because of the struggles against uh, Arizona State. You know, it was obvious that they didn't feel comfortable with him in there anymore. And uh, I think some of it was just, I mean, he was only in his, what, third start or second or third start, whatever it was, um, for for Washington. And I think, you know, he just needs a little bit more seasoning. And, and he's a guy who can run block pretty well. But has his pass blocking, he's had to, he's really had to work on it since he got to the University of Washington. And it's improved leaps and bounds from where it was but um uh, you know obviously it wasn't where they wanted it to be so uh Julius Bulow coming back and and with the way he played you know a year or two ago I never thought we'd say but him coming back was definitely a steadying force for the Washington offense this past this past week and Chris I think what's going to be key today too is it seems like the last couple weeks everybody's been trying to take away Washington's vertical passing game and it started with Cal and I thought Michael Penix against Cal was really good at dumping the ball off short and dumping it to Dylan Johnson and taking 8 to 12 yards uh, at a chunk and I'm kind of expecting to see the same thing today with uh, USC trying to take away that vertical passing game and the deep ball not being there as much. Yeah I'm I'm sure they're all I'm sure every defense is going to try and do that. I don't know how USC may, to, may try and do that maybe in the way Arizona tried to do it, for instance, where they were really putting people over the top and, and putting them in a shell and basically just daring Washington to just take the easy money underneath. And Michael Penix did a fantastic job of that. And if USC is able to take down take some of the deep shots away, will Penix be able to do the same thing? Will he look short? Will he get it to the running backs? Will he get it to the tight ends? That'll be a big part of this game. But, you know, I just think that with Penix feeling better, I mean, you know, talking to him this week, he was a little feisty, which is good. I took that as a good sign that he was kind of back to his normal self and, and back to his fight, fight fit and uh, ready to go. So we'll see what happens. I, I just think that they're probably not going to be able to, to take it all completely off because as, as if you've seen it, Kim, if you've looked at those stats, those explosive plays, USC gives a ton of them up and they give them up at a rate that is far greater than anyone else in the Pac-12, and it's not really even close. 
Yeah. Also, just this game with USC playing as bad as they have with two losses, I think, at the beginning of the year, this was a game that all of the networks had circled, but uh, you know, 4.30 kickoff uh, you know, on big ABC. But I, think, I still think a lot of eyeballs are going to be on this game nationally, Scott. Oh, absolutely. Why wouldn't it be? I mean, former, uh, you know, last year's Heisman Trophy winner, this year's arguably, you know, favorite to win the Heisman, uh, top five team, uh, two top 20 teams. Um, you know, there's no reason for this not to be, you know, one of the featured games nationally. It's, I mean, I don't know how many, you know, I haven't looked at the overall schedule, but, you know, they typically only have maybe two or three at the most uh, top 20 matchups where you have two top 20 teams facing each other. And this is one of them. So, uh, yeah. and, and Washington was kind of the media darling at the beginning of the year and, and all the way through the Oregon, basically up until Arizona state, everybody had said Washington was playing the best of any team in the country. And then after Oregon state, after Stanford, two close calls against teams that aren't very good. And all of a sudden Washington isn't there anymore at, at the top of everybody's mind, but, uh, win today, we'll be able to put them right back at the top of everybody's mind. And I also think, you know, there's a lot of people in the media. Low-hanging fruit is easy, you know, and I think this game for a lot of the East Coast guys, I call this low-hanging fruit. This is easy. They can take a look at Caleb Williams. They can take a look at Michael Penix, Romo Dunsey, and they can take a look at all of these guys. And I think in many of them, it's going to be the first time watching Washington and these people on the East Coast. But I think this is going to be a must-see game for a lot of the Heisman voters and a lot of those guys back on the East Coast. I'll di- I'll disagree with you a little bit, Kim, because I think pretty much everybody watched that game, Washington and Oregon. Oregon. I mean, yep. I mean, yeah. I think everybody's seen Washington play at least once this year. But but but, but on the East Coast, that game yeah. started at 3.30, and they were still doing their East Coast stuff. With this game on the East Coast, it's a 7.30 start. They'll be home. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get the point. I, I just m- – pretty much everybody who's a national pundit watched that Washington-Oregon game. I mean, if you listen to that, the commentary after the game, but I know what you're saying. You, you know, the average fan and everything like that, people are going to be watching Washington and seeing what they end up doing. It's at 7.30 kickoff, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be a lot – or 7.30 East Coast time. I think I think it's going to be a, a fun game. It's going to be an entertaining game. Basketball on grass. There's, yeah. there's, only, there's only one other game that's going to really conflict – with this one nationally, and it starts 15 minutes after the Washington USC game, and that's LSU at Alabama. That's yeah, other than other than that, there are some other games like Missouri Georgia, yep. the Bedlam game between Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. You know, there are some games like that. I mean, you know, UCLA at Arizona yep. for the West Coast people, that's going to be big. Um, but you know, nationally, those two games at like that 7:30 primetime slot out east with Washington USC. And LSU, Alabama, those are going to be the must-watch must games. Yeah, I put a post out on the board, you know, my thoughts from the weekend. Basketball and football now are colliding, and it's pretty damn explosive. So uh, after the game, starting Monday, we have football media with uh, head coach and the two coordinators. We have a basketball game on Monday night. We have media again on Tuesday with football, media for basketball on Tuesday afternoon, media again on Wednesday, and then basketball game on Thursday. So it's going to be a busy week with basketball uh, against uh, Bellarmine on Monday night and then um, Northern Kentucky. And I got to talk to somebody about what are these 830 starts on these games, Chris? Yeah, they're late. Yeah, the Bellarmine game is going to be 830 on Monday and then the Northern Kentucky games at eight. 
both yeah. on both on the Pac-12 networks. Yeah, I don't know. Really yeah, I don't know who did that, but uh, yeah, basketball starting, so it'll be interesting. And uh, brand new team, brand new style of play, new coaches on the coaching staff, so totally different team than what we saw a year ago. Just uh, anything on basketball before we wrap this up, Chris? No, just uh, you know, excited to see what the the, the you know what it's going to be like. Obviously, for anybody that saw the St. Martin's exhibition win, you know they go out and win by 45 and put up over 100 points and and look good doing it and. Everyone got a little bit of action and and got to see a whole, you know, basically everyone was a brand new starter except for Keon Brooks. And and so that was interesting. And then, you know, obviously uh, the return of Frank Kepnang was big. Still haven't seen Braxton Mia yet. Expect him on Monday. Haven't seen Wesley Yates. Hopefully he'll be available Monday. Uh, but everyone else got a chance to pretty much play and, and showed that they can contribute a little bit to this team. But uh, Xavier Wheeler, wow, you know, he he's going to be running that show and. And he looks like he's the real deal right now. Scott Eklund, wrap it up. Uh, yeah, just looking forward to watching what Washington is able to do against USC t- later today. I've, I'm I'm one of the few people, at least on this podcast, who who uh, think that grass is a thing. Um, and I Washington never seems to play well on grass. They have uh, they've won uh, both of their grass games this year. Uh, so congratulations to them. Let's see if they can make it three. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm just really looking forward to seeing what this team can do when they're actually all playing at a hundred percent, because I think Washington is the better team overall between these two teams. But, um, you know, it, it really comes down to how they perform later tonight. Uh, Chris Fetters wrap it up. Yeah. I think going into the season, we looked at the schedule we saw the final four games and knew that this was going to be the gauntlet. They talk about November as being the time when the games are remembered. And and so you look at SC, you look at Utah, you look at Oregon State, Washington State, four huge, huge games. And and so it starts uh, starts today. And uh, we'll see if, if Washington has what it takes. We'll see if they have enough gas left in the tank to get things done. Because at, at this point, the national perception is they're not sure what to think of Washington. Is Washington the team that beat Oregon or is Washington and the team that scraped by against ASU and Stanford. Well, they have a chance to show the world what they're all about this afternoon. And so it's it's a huge show-me game, a huge Heisman showcase between Caleb Williams and Michael Penix Jr. Can't wait to see uh, see what happens. Yeah, as much as people were taking a look at the schedule and, and uh, you know, circling that Oregon game, I think everybody had two games circled this year, and uh, Oregon was the first one. But the matchup against Michael Penix against Caleb Williams, because they didn't play uh, last year, I think this is the second game that everybody had circled. So it'll be interesting to see. And uh, this is going to be the first time in a long time where I've been down, uh, you know, to the Coliseum to a sellout crowd because they haven't been selling that place out. So it's been kind of um, quiet down there, but uh, we'll see what the loud DJ has to do. I'm looking forward to seeing Jen Cohen at some point uh, later today. And uh, hopefully, hopefully it'll be a good game. So 4:30 starts better than uh, the 7:30 starts. So uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting game today. Uh, again, just keep your eye on basketball, expecting big things from the basketball team this year, two games next week. So, we're busy. It's going to be a busy, busy, busy week. So, but uh, this is just what we do. So, for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eckland. Go, dogs. Wait. 
When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.